0: Hello, and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about an 1897 cattle abduction. That's correct, an 1897 cattle abduction. There's a lot of cool source material on this, and I put it over at the Buy Me A Coffee website. As always, you can go over there and look it up, and as always, thanks to the folks that support the program over there and at Spotify, and be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. So I found a pretty cool short video on it that you can look at, which I linked over there, but then I also found this really cool article from UFO Nut that goes into some pretty good detail on it. It says Alexander Hamilton and the 1897 UFO cattle mutilation incident. This is written February 18th, 2016 by Chuck Sukowski. It begins by saying, did Alexander Hamilton, a local Kansas rancher, personally experienced a UFO sighting, which escalated into one of our most documented cattle mutilation cases in 1897. Then it says uh, on April 23rd, 1897, the Kansas farmer advocate published a story about a phenomenal event experienced by Alexander Hamilton, a local rancher living in Kansas. After the article was published, it was reprinted in newspapers all over America and Europe. In his book, Anatomy of Phenomena, by researcher Jacques Vallée, back in 1965, Jacques brought this article into the media limelight. Later in years, some publications, including Fate magazine, concluded the event was a hoax due to Alexander Hamilton being part of an elite group of citizens known as the Liars Club. Their information came from a 1943 article from a Kansas newspaper called The Buffalo Enterprise in which Mrs. Donna Stevie of Wichita, Kansas, wrote that her 93-year-old mother, Ethel L. Shaw, when younger, had actually heard the tale from Hamilton himself, and he admitted it was all a hoax. Now, you know, I don't mean to doubt this woman, but sometimes stories like this, they come up with these parallel narratives 40, 50 years later, and we really never know if they're true or not. It says here, Hamilton had signed an affidavit Notarized by 10 notable members of the community of Leroy, Kansas, where they lived, the affidavit was dated April 21st, 1897, and Hamilton staked his, quote, sacred honor on the truth of the event. Not to discredit Fate Magazine and Ethel Shaw, but let's look at Hamilton's tale and then compare it to what happened in the general area of Kansas last year, December of 2015, and the beginning of this year, January 2016. Wow, so what he's doing here, I think, is just he's going to compare these cattle mutilations from 1897 and even before, and then compare that to what happened, you know, 100 and what, 16, 17 years later, when these cattle mutilations are still going on. He says, his source here is the great airship mystery of, uh, this is a UFO of the 1890s, Daniel Cohen, and you can also see this at the uh, video over there at, at the bottom at uh, odyssey that i've linked to on buy me a coffee it begins here with the affidavit these guys signed pretty neat it says last monday night about 10 30 we were awakened by a noise among the cattle i arose thinking that perhaps my bulldog was performing pranks but upon going to the door saw to my utter astonishment that an airship was slowly descending upon my cow lot about 40 rods at 600 feet from the house now look i'm going to do just a I'll read a couple of paragraphs here in the background of these airships. It's 1897. Yes, airships had been invented. First one in 1852. But you have to think about the tremendous expense of these things and the limited range still 1897. So I think we can safely rule out that this thing was man made. Now he goes on, he says, calling my tenant Gid Heslop and my son Wall, we see some axes and rent to the corral. Meanwhile, the ship had been gently descending until it was not more than 30 feet above the ground, and we came within 50 yards of it. It consisted of a great cigar-shaped portion, possibly 300 feet long, with a carriage underneath. The carriage was made of glass or some other transparent substances, alternating with a narrow strip of some material. It was brightly lighted within, and everything was plainly visible. It was occupied by six of the strangest beings i have ever seen they were jabbering together but we could not understand a word they said so that tells me that this thing would have been pretty close if they can see the people or entities in there uh, walking about inside this cabin or whatever this thing was every part of the vessel which was not transparent was of a dark reddish color we stood mute with wonder and fright Then some noise attracted their attention, and they turned a light directly upon us. Immediately, on catching sight of us, they turned on some unknown power, and a great turbine wheel, about thirty feet in diameter, which was revolving slowly below the craft, began to buzz, and the vessel rose lightly as a bird. When about three hundred feet above us, it seemed to pause and to hover directly above a two-year-old heifer, which was bawling and jumping, apparently fast in the fence. Going to her, we found some material fastened in a slip knot around her neck, and going up to the vessel from the heifer tangled in the wire fence, we tried to get it off her but could not. So we cut the wire loose to see the ship, heifer, and all rise slowly, disappearing in the northwest. So in the, in the uh, video, they talk about how he sent the hired hand over to try to cut this. Uh, Calf loose. He said it was attached to this cable, which was attached to the ship. The hired hand goes over, but instead of cutting the cable, he cuts the fence itself. Next thing you know, this poor calf is being uh, drawn up into the ship. He says, We went home, but I was so frightened I could not sleep. Rising early Tuesday, I started out on my horse, hoping to find some trace of my cow. This I failed to do, but coming back in the evening, Found that Link Thomas, about three or four miles west of Leroy, had found the hide, legs, and head in his field that day. He, thinking that someone had butchered a stolen beast, had brought the hide to town for identification, but was greatly mystified at not being able to find any tracks in the soft ground. After identifying the hide by my brand, I went home, but every time I would drop to sleep, I would see the cursed thing, with its big lights and hideous people. I don't know whether they are devils or angels or what but we all saw them and my whole family saw the ship and i don't want any more to do with them now that's a pretty interesting story it goes on here it says uh analysis of the story the description of the craft mimics airships of that time period the first flown by henry gifford in 1852 which was steam powered okay i'm not sure really because he talks about this cigar-shaped UFO and these people walking around inside of it. If you look at pictures of the old, well, uh, this thing that was that was produced by Henri Gifford in 1852, uh, it, first off, it, it talks about it just being like a bag of air, basically. It does have this, like I think it's like a 350-pound steam engine basically below us, so it did create quite a bit of lift, especially for 1852, but the maiden voyage that I read about, it only flew like 20 miles. And it's got you know ropes dangling off of it. It looks like, it looks like a like a steampunk work of art, really. It's, it's hard to imagine. It could even fly, but apparently it did. We get into the Zeppelin stuff. Now, these things are super expensive. I, from what I've read, um, $3 million to build the first one. I could imagine who uh, would even be able to afford to do that in Kansas You know, in the 1890s. And the Zeppelins didn't come along until, I think, around 1897, 1898. We're going to look at an article on that here in a minute. Anyway, it goes on and says, it consisted of a great cigar-shaped portion, possibly 300 feet long. Cigar-shaped UFOs are still being seen today. As if this writing, of course, the author's talking about 2016, the National UFO Reporting Center has eight listings so far in 2016 from Seattle, Washington, down to Eagle River, Arkansas, with two separate sightings reported in Joplin, Missouri. There's over 2,500 cigar-shaped cases reported on this website. And we've talked about them a lot, you know. When we do the UFO roundups, they're still seeing these cigar-shaped UFOs even today. It goes on. It says uh, animal mutilation. The airship picks up a cow, and then cow parts were found three to four miles west of Leroy and appeared to have been dropped due to leaving no tracks in the soft ground. If that story wasn't enough, in Volume 38, Number 11 of Fate Magazine's issue november of 1985 was printed a story called cattle killing ufo of 1896 one year before hamilton's story in august of 1896 in Howe county missouri a family experienced a ufo encounter excerpts from the fate magazine article read it says all at once we saw flashing lights at first we thought they were a star shower but the stars stayed in a circle as if they were all strung together like beads The circle of lights just kept whirling and falling toward us. I ran to my mother and clung to her skirts, crying and shaking so hard that I could barely stand. It stopped and hovered over the barn. We can now see it was a large saucer-like craft. Its lights were blinding. The whole barn lit up like day. Remember, 1896. My father grabbed up the baby who was sleeping on a pallet, and we fled into the house. The next morning when Ben took his dog cappy and went out to the pasture to bring up the milk cows as he always did he came running back to the house scared out of his wits in a large patch of burned grass were three of our steers lying dead on the ground the father then examined the steers and noticed they were completely drained of blood clear back in 1896 are finding these things drained of blood then it goes on and says for a complete version of the article please contact fate magazine Wow, really neat. Real animal mutilation cases consisting of the following. It says, animal was picked up at a location A, then mutilated at location B, then placed at location C. We see this all the time. Animal found with usual lesions and lack of blood. Animal appears to have been dropped or placed. No animal struggle evidence found. No predator takedown evidence found. No human evidence found. No tracks of any kind. Sometimes strange lights are seen in the area before and after the mutilation. Yeah, I think a lot of times people misinterpret these as helicopters. He says, so we have two possible mutilation cases occurring in 1896 and one in 1897. Both talk about a purposed UFO and both sightings result in cattle deaths. But wait, there's more to this, it says. And then it says the Hamilton mutilation occurred at around 38 degrees uh, by 95. And then the Missouri around 36 by 91. So they were basically straight across from each other. On December 21st, 2015, it says KWCH News 12 out of Kansas reported a Newton, Kansas rancher found one of his bulls dead a quarter of a mile into his pasture on the 18th. The animal sex organs had been removed. The Harvey County Sheriff's investigated the incident and found no traces of cause of death and is classifying this as an animal cruelty case are non-animal related. So in other words, they looked at this thing and they could see that it wasn't a predator taking this thing down. On January 2nd, 2016, Harvey County Sheriff's Department Facebook page stated another cow had been found dead in McPherson County, Kansas. Its eyeballs had been removed. Other similar damage mimicked the Newton case. And so then, you know, basically he says, you have four cases here. He goes on and talks about his own uh, cases he founds in, He gives a region here, kind of from Colorado over to central Missouri, down from the uh, extreme uh, northwest corner of Iowa, maybe getting into uh, Kansas there. It's almost like this kind of a hotspot area for cattle mutilations. He concludes by saying, obviously there's been a lot of research by good people on the Hamilton Airship case, and the overall consensus is he indeed lied, but what if he didn't? How accurate is the second hand witness testimony if it's just it's just circumstantial evidence which allows for more than one explanation did he lie or did he in fact experience an experimental airship stealing one of his cows or did he see something else well i i mean this is 2016. uh this guy does a lot of good work i really respect his opinion uh i'm not sure he lied i mean yeah the the um granddaughter, whatever came forward. But look, there were multiple people that said they witnessed this thing. And then you have this dead mutilated calf that was apparently turned in, was reported at least by the newspaper. So I have to ask, I mean, how could this lie have held up for 43 years? I mean, he makes a report in 1947. And then what was it, 1943 or something? They come along with a parallel narrative saying, okay, well, he belonged to the Liars Club. This is all made up. It seems to me like somebody would have uncovered this a lot sooner than, you know, 46 years later. Another thing that leads me to think that this is true, like I said, you have the evidence of this mutilated calf. If that, if nobody found the calf, surely somebody would have come forward. I mean, he names his neighbor as having turned this calf in to the, to the sheriff. So who mutilated the calf then, if this is all just made up? And at some point, wouldn't one of those hired hands come forward and said something? I mean, you would have had to imagine there was some bit of... Uh, public derision and criticism over this. It's hard to imagine that you could have held a conspiracy like that together for so long. I mean, we know how long it is. It's extremely difficult when you get more than three, four, five, six people together, you know, lying about the same thing. It says his family saw it. Well, wouldn't somebody else in the family come forward at some point and say something? Would it take him 43 years? I mean, really, I have to look at this saying, yes, I know it's really weird to think of a UFO coming down, but... I also think it's really weird this guy would just make this up, and get all these other people to go along with it, and manufacture the evidence by mutilating this this calf himself. Uh, I don't know, posing it there somehow overnight for his neighbor to find it. I think it seems like the, the, the longer, the, the more time that's, that has, a, that has uh, expired between the sighting and where we're at, like mean, 40, 50 years, the easier it becomes to disparage the account and cast doubt on it. Myself, I have to go through the evidence on this. We have multiple eyewitnesses. We have affidavits for people, uh, you know, verifying that he's of a good character. And then 43 three years later, or 46 years later, we have someone come along and say, no, I heard differently. So this is definitely a strange case, but it's surrounded by many other mutilation cases much like this. Now, I just wanna take a look at what is involved in making uh, an airship in 1897, because sometimes we hear people say, well, this is a man-made airship. Is that even a possibility? Now, looking at this whole notion of whether or not uh, people could have had dirigibles that could do this sort of thing back in 1897, it doesn't seem likely to me. I mean, we can look at uh, Britannica.com where they're talking about, uh, the, you know, the creation, the first invention of these dirigibles. It tells us that uh, the first successful airship was constructed by Henry Gifford of France in 1852. And Gifford built, it says, a 350-pound steam engine capable of developing three horsepower sufficient to turn a large propeller at 110 revolutions per minute. To carry the engine weight, he filled a bag 140 feet, 144 feet long with hydrogen and ascending from the Paris Hippodrome flew at a speed of six miles per hour to cover a distance of 20 miles. So it was kind of a one-off thing. It wasn't like he's uh, flying around, you know, the middle of Kansas somewhere looking for heifers to pick up. I'm not seeing the kind of control here demonstrated by this UFO that was reported by this Alexander Hamilton in 1897. And it tells us in 1872, a German engineer, Paul Hanlon, first used an internal combustion engine for flight in an airship that used lifting gas from the bag as fuel. In 1883, Albert and Gaston Tinsadier of France became the first to successfully power an airship using an electric motor. The first rigid airship was a hull of aluminum sheeting that was built in Germany in 1897. And then it says Albert de Santos de Mont, a Brazilian living in Paris, set a number of records in a series of 14 non-rigid gasoline-powered airships that he built from 1898 to 1905. So you had these things, you know, in Europe, not really talking about them in the United States in, 19, in you know, 1897, but even so, he describes this thing as being this giant, Uh, a cigar-shaped craft that you could look into, not like a giant bag, you know, like a cloth bag of air or thin aluminum sheeting where you had a gondola uh, hanging from it. It's like he's talking about like an actual ship that is uh, controlled, uh, very precisely going up and down, and that can lift this, this heifer up from the air. What he's describing is, you know, it has about as much in common with an airship as, say, a jetliner would today with a uh, Wright Brothers aircraft. What he's describing is way, way further advanced than anything that was available, even in Europe at that time. So he's describing an actual constructed spaceship. It's clearly, it's not one of these, you know, cloth bags filled with hydrogen. And then it goes on, talks a little bit about the 20s and 30s. We have another article uh, here from New York Times. It says, is talking about the Zeppelin and this the cost of of how much it it was to rebuild this thing. I mean, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars. I'll post that you can take a look at it. And then um, finally, we have uh, an article here uh, talking a little bit more about the history of some of these things and the first Zeppelin and how much it cost. I mean, it was so expensive that it, we had to have um, people in the in the in the uh, noble class had to uh, mortgage their estates to fund these things. I mean, you're talking about what would be the equivalent of millions of dollars today. If you look at the history of the Zeppelin itself, it actually didn't come around until 1898. And and if you look at this uh, article on airships.net, it will tell you, uh, it says uh, the first Zeppelins, LZ1 through LZ4, and this is probably the closest thing that would approximate what what uh this alexander hamilton claimed to have seen it says count ferdinand von zeppelin began construction of his first airship lz1 in june of 1898 in a floating wooden hangar on bodenice leek constance at manzel Friedrichshafen in southern germany not far from the swiss border the movable floating shed allowed the ship to be positioned in the wind to enter or leave its hangar so you had to have really specialized places even to land this thing it says the ship was completed in the winter of 1899, but von Zeppelin decided to wait until the summer of 1900 before attempting to fly his invention. The ship was inflated with hydrogen gas in June and made its maiden flight on July 2nd, 1900. The first flight lasted about 18 minutes and covered about three and a half miles over the lake. So clearly this thing's not flying... Uh, any kind of great distances, and clearly it didn't even take flight until 1899, or 1900 rather, summer of 1900. That's three years after the sighting in 1897 or 1896 there in Kansas, or Kansas and Missouri rather. It says the LZ Luschiff Zeppelin One was 420 feet long, 38 and a half feet in diameter, and contained approximately 399,000 cubic feet of hydrogen and 17 gas cells made of rubberized cotton fabric. Two metal gondolas were suspended below the ship, one forward and one aft, and each gondola housed a four-cylinder water-cooled Daimler gasoline engine producing about 14 horsepower. Each engine was connected by long shafts to outrigger propellers mounted on either side of the hull, Pitch was controlled by a sliding weight suspended under the hull, which could be shifted fore and aft. There were no elevators for pitch control or fins or stability. So you're talking about something that, even though it might have been really super advanced for its time, is still really primitive, especially when you consider what the experiencers uh, swore that they saw in this UFO encounter in 1897. The Count's second ship was was not built until five years later with funds partly raised from a lottery approved as a favor by the King of Wittenberg and partly by the mortgages of Count, Countess Zeppelin's family estates. So that kind of gives you an idea. Yeah, like I said, I read this thing and today's to dollars would have been like $3 million to build this thing. So we're not talking about somebody putting together a ultralight in their garage, okay? It just goes beyond any scope of believability for me that this thing could have been floating around in Kansas in 1896 and 1897 for someone to see. And even if it was, okay, even if we give the debunkers the benefit of the doubt and go clear out on a limb here and say, well, some random Kansas farmer had invented this dirigible three years before uh, it, was, it was built uh, there in Southern Germany. Even if we go out on a limb and say that, it still doesn't match the description of what the experiencers saw. What they saw was this cigar-shaped UFO, and they talk about seeing and hearing entities walking around inside of this thing. Strange stuff, even in 1897. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.